0: This is the Trout Bitten Podcast.
1: Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten? Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten? Yeah. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. It's about trout.
0: Wild trout. This is Trout Bitten. This is the Trout Bitten Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Dominic Swentoski. I'm the owner of Troutbitten and the author of Troutbitten.com. It's two o'clock in the morning. The darkness is thick and it's foggy. Fog can kill night fishing action completely, but this is the thin stuff and intermittent. Earlier in the night, I was convinced that the light veil was my own breath, surrounding me in the cool air and hanging around on a windless night. But I was wrong, and I see this fog again when I turn my back to the water to light my red lamp and tie a knot. That's something I've been doing a lot tonight, because the fishing has been slow. Night fishing in this kind of blackness is disorienting for me, even after decades of fishing after dark. This is the first cold night since June. Temps in the low 50s have changed things, and trout are not reacting to flies the way they did just a week ago. I've been out since 8.30. I walked a quarter mile at dusk through a floodplain overgrown with ferns and vines that were overtaking the fallen timber. I followed a game trail for a bit, then I lost my way in the scattered rays of battery light, until I'd fully lost my direction. But I paused, listened, and eventually heard a car pass on the road that paralleled the river a hundred yards above. So I caught my bearings and forged a path through the ferns, on guard to flush something alive and scared underfoot. Yes, that's happened before. The fish count is 1, 2, and 5. That's fish caught, lost, and missed. I keep track at night for two reasons. First, it's just another thing to keep me focused in this giant darkness. And second, it's good data to store, share, and learn from. Action from any trout matters here. The lost fish, on for at least a few seconds, indicate that a trout ate the fly, but I probably did something wrong while hooking or fighting the fish. The missed count is valuable too, just to assure that the trout are interested, available, and perhaps willing if I can dial in a convincing technique. Why have I had so many misses? So many trout that have touched the fly but didn't eat it? Or they hit short and I had no chance of burying the hook? What's wrong with my technique? And is there a solution? I have a handful of go-to tactics for the night game, and when things get tough, I rotate through them with some discipline, spending 10 or 20 minutes doing just one thing over and over, and then trying the next. I'll do anything to remain focused in the dark, anything for inspiration and resistance against the voice in the back of my head telling me to go home. With nothing happening since midnight, what should I try next? I cast aimlessly a few times and let the pen Pendragon swing out. Imagining its position in the water, I pop the fly a few times, staring into the darkness and watching my glowing fly line jump with the rod tip motion. But I've done this already. I've tried short strips, slow slides, the wiggle and hang. And then it comes to me. I realize that all of my presentations have been based on swinging, always with tension, all night long. So I turn to face the current and open a whole new world of tactics by drifting the night flies. So welcome to episode three of the Night Fishing for Trout series on the Trout Pitten podcast. This one is about drifting and swinging flies. I have my night fishing friends here with me and I'll introduce them in a moment. So what I just read are the introductory paragraphs to a Trout Pitten article called The Wiggle and Hang. And I want to remind you that the Trout Pitten website hosts 30 plus articles just on night fishing. It's all there for you. And as I mentioned in episode one, this podcast series is structured around the Night Fishing for Trout article series on the website. So, this Trout Bitten project has grown so much that I realize many people find Trout Pitten through the podcast or through the YouTube channel, but they might miss the website. I think people hear us talk about the website or they see the links, but they might not realize how deep the Trout Bitten website resource really is. There are now over 1,000 articles on Trout pitting that I've penned and published since 2014, and there truly is nothing else like this on the internet. Now, these are stories, tips, tactics, and commentary pieces that run deep and cover a ton of topics around fly fishing for trout. The web used to hold more stuff like this, I suppose, but as time goes on, most website material is written just to skim the surface, get a good SEO score, and draw traffic to sell ads. and That's a sad fact. But the Troutbitten website is different. That's all I'm saying. And if you enjoy this podcast series, if you like any of the topics that we've covered in any of the podcast seasons here, honestly, there is a lot more for you over on the website. You can start in the top menu and choose your category. There is a night fishing category. Or you can find the search page and open up a whole new world that I think you'll really enjoy. Because the truth is, nothing lays it all out there as well as a good article. So real quick, here are a few of those night fishing article titles. Of Mice and Fishermen, Imagination, Fight or Flight, Bank water. You're Gonna Need a Bigger Rope, Upside Down and Backward, Spaces, The Shallows Above and The Shallows Below, and there are two articles about drifting and swinging flies at night, which is what we're going to cover. There you go. So check out the website. Now let me introduce my friends so you can hear their voices. Then we'll run through a few questions from listeners about this night fishing series. Hey, Dr. Trevor Smith, how are you doing tonight?
1: Good evening. I'm doing excellent. Thank you. What would you spend your day doing? Today I worked. Uh, yeah, I saw people for a variety <laughs> of issues today. I feel like uh, cold and flu season's coming back in. No, and some fall. it's yeah. too early for that. Yeah, some fall allergies are hitting mm. and... Had a nice laceration from a piece of sheet metal. Oh, cool! Uh, that's worse than a paper cut. Mm-hmm. Episode of Lyme disease. <laughs> so there's always some of that out there. How I'll, many do you see in a day? Average hmm. day, usually about twenty-two. Man, that's a lot. twenty twenty-two. Yeah, I I always say it's like having twenty-two first dates every day because you kind of you know you got to bring it. You got to bring. I got to bring bring the energy. <laughs> gotta be positive yeah dude for, for them i'm the only doctor they'll see that day
0: mm-hmm. for me
1: it might be the 30th 20th patient but I, I try to bring it try to bring the energy
0: you're a professional that's what I'm you're a saying professional
1: right it's my job to bring it
0: josh darling of wilds media did you bring it today uh yeah i brought it
2: you know what i've been doing for the last few hours <laughs> is i've just been looking at your face up close on
0: my screen editing this next video <laughs>
1: That's right. <laughs> we're getting
0: close to, which video is it? The Knot video. The Uninot.: One yep. not to rule them all. That's right. Absolutely. Mm. There are so many. Well, we go over them. Mm. All right. We're just two episodes in on this series and I already have a bunch of questions coming in. That's great. It happens every season. Pretty much no matter what we talk about, people, uh, I don't know if they have questions, want to contribute, have some great ideas to go along with the stuff we talk about. So, you know, we love the questions and uh, keep them coming, everybody. So let's answer a couple of those questions that have come up most so far. First, a number of listeners have asked if we will discuss safety.
1: Guys, are we going to do that? I would like nothing less than to talk about <laughs> safety. <laughs> 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 Sounds terrible. Right. Um, I know. I would love to hear, though, like people's, like the Darwin Awards of people's night fishing. You know, Yes, like, yes. What was that what's what's the fun. stupidest yeah. thing you've done at night? That's right. I mean... Or the hairiest situation you've been in, the most dangerous, right? For sure. No, I think, I mean, and this kind of goes throughout all of our podcast episodes and just, I would say, our persona in general, but we're not (laughs) not here to paint every little aspect of your fishing out for you. We want you to enjoy it. We're going to talk tactics. We'll talk about what's fun for us. But when it comes to safety and stuff like that, if there was something outstanding, I mean, a lot of this is common sense. You know sure. know the water you're going to be in bring a buddy if you feel uncomfortable being out there by yourself Yeah, for older fishermen there's probably some good things to think about but use the same common sense and logic you would use in any other arena of life. I do
0: think people assume that night fishing is more dangerous than day fishing hmm. to me it's not. I only fish waters that I know really well and that's where it starts but even the waters that we're fishing these rivers aren't deep enough to sweep you away and stuff like that yeah but other people might have those rivers but a- again i don't feel like it's our responsibility and we're not really interested in <laughs> laying out safety right. features all the time we we had the same question when we when austin and i did the winter series hey you going to tell people you got to be safe out there well okay
1: Be safe out there, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Grobe's got bears, so, I mean. That matters, yeah. Yeah, I don't think we had to warn him about that. Mm -hmm. Well, like you just said, we don't have water.
2: That's so deep that it's going to sweep us away, But and that's Mm -hmm. not the case for everybody, so we're not going to be the ones to talk on that because the circumstances are too varied across the country, across the world. Where you're fishing, you got to know what you're getting yourself into and make decisions based on that.
0: Right. It's up to each angler to, I don't know, assess the location the conditions, and your own abilities. All right, second question then. A few people wanted us to mention that night fishing is not legal everywhere. And that's fair. Hmm. But again, that's up to every angler to know their local regulations.
1: Yeah, and there's more than just night fishing, day fishing stuff, right? There's mm-hmm. like number of flies you can use, certain tackle mm-hmm. restrictions, different places. Yeah, know your local regs.
0: Yeah, can you imagine how boring the podcasts and articles and Videos would be if, <laughs> if, if they contained all the possible disclaimers for every topic. Yeah. Like, we can't do that, and I don't right. try to. In the articles, right. we don't try to do that here. Um, it's a fair question, you know what I mean? And so we've addressed it right here. You know, again, not our job, but yes, know your local regs. Make sure you're legal out there. Buy a fishing license, too. That's probably uh, necessary in almost every state. Oh, yeah. no, we're supposed to do that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Josh never bought a fishing license. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if we'd covered it on the podcast earlier. That's right. Maybe I would have if you guys would have told
0: me. <laughs> <laughs> not his fault. Nope. <laughs> Trout Pitten never told him and he needed a license. Actually, do you know that on the website, I have a page. It, you kind of legally need to have a page that says, hey, if you get hurt, not Trout Pitton's fault. Go look <laughs> really, it up. I have not seen that. I've not seen on the. It's under the, what, about header of the That's menu? Awesome. Mm-hmm. Fish at your own risk. There's some legal stuff. It's about, I think, in, an, in a legal, whatever. Oh, I have there. seen That's There's it, a that's legal it. tab. Yeah, I've seen that. Right. Yeah. There's a legal tab, and all that stuff basically needs to be there if you're giving advice. <laughs> hmm. All right, so this third question is helpful. Um, how much water do we cover? That, I've gotten that question three or four times already. Like, How much water are you guys covering out there? What do you think,
1: guys? I think it's a good question. I mean, I think... It really does depend on the night. I th- there's been nights where we move pretty quickly. Yeah. And I think those nights tend to be nights where, frankly, maybe where we're catching more fish. Um, and nights hmm. that are slower, I think we kind of like start to cycle through tactics and really dissecting the water a little huh. bit more making sure that we're hitting the bank and I don't, I maybe I'm just speaking more personally, but I I get perplexed by nights where we're not catching as many fish. And so I think I tend to slow down and try to make sure that I'm making good presentations. But that being said, I mean, I would say in a four hour stretch of fishing, I might cover three to 400 yards of water, maybe an hour, a hundred yards an hour.
0: That's, that's, I'm on track with that. That's pretty fair. I think I'd kind of like to highlight what you just said, Trevor. Mm. That's something I do as well. Mm. Um, I don't know that I necessarily do it in the daytime. I don't know that I'm as disciplined in the daytime. But at night, I've realized after making the mistake way too many times, when the fishing is slow, instead of moving on and moving on, got to get to the next hole. Hey, got to get to the next tail out. Hey, I got to get to the next flat. Instead of doing that, I tend to, I know the fish are there. And so I tend to change tactics, slow down. Take it easy yep. and try not to cover too much water. In the daylight, I might do something very different if the fishing is slow. I might do that same strategy where, hey, I know the fish are here. I'm going to feed it to them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But in the daylight, often I will move a lot faster when the fishing's slow, is slow because I'm looking for the players, right? I'm looking for the ones that really right. want to eat. Right. That's neat, though. And Trevor, I've made that mistake <laughs> just oh, a lot right. of times. And then I, all I'm doing is moving. And You can't move as efficiently in the dark okay. and you start to get a little bit lost.
1: Yeah. Sure,
0: you know where you are, but you know what I mean by lost no, we all know I, d- I know what
1: exactly you what you mean
0: yep it's It's hard to move fast at night, and it's easy to make that mistake. Mm-hmm. Josh, did you have something?
2: Well, sort of to follow up on this. you guys are both talking about even though it might be a little slower, we're still moving, and I think that there's probably a little bit of a misconception that you just go and kind of park. At, at the hole that you want to fish for huh. the evening because you right. think it'll be good. And I think there's also right. a misconception that, and we kind of covered this last week in the in the topic, that maybe trout can't really see, so you have to put it right in front of them. I don't think that's, mm. that we've not seen that to be the case. It's not yeah. like they are more unaware of their surroundings because it's dark out. I think mm. that they're nearly just as aware, so you don't need to cover every inch of water mm. and that allows us to mm. move on. I think that Maybe the idea of stopping at one spot, one pool, one bridge hole, whatever it is, and yeah. spending hours there comes from, well, the, the fish aren't going to see it if it's not hitting their nose. And that's mm-hmm. not the case. They're very similar. They, they're they very similarly aware to their surroundings and the food sources in the water around them Yeah, to the day. And so we can mm-hmm. move through a stretch of water in at a similar speed that we can to
1: the day, hitting the prime I spots know. and then moving on. I hear that. Yeah. I think even, I mean, had I just read Jim Bashline's book and and gone out fishing based solely on that information, I might have also had a little bit of that misconception. And I think some of that is based on the waterways that he, he was fishing a lot of northern waterways that were yeah. more river um, size. And I think yeah. pools for him might have been hundred yard, hundreds of yards long, mm-hmm. but he did talk about standing in one place and cycling through wet flies and colors and really just working the same water over and over until he finally found what his perception was he finally got the color right and then boom success came right but yeah but that's very different than the style of fishing that we do for sure
0: and it's fair to back up and say if you know you're covering 100 yards of water well how wide is that water how wide is that river sure right yeah for sure yeah if you're trying to cover 100 100 yards of the big hole (laughs) <laughs> you know yeah, yeah yeah that's that's probably too much totally it's all relative and you got to find your way you know you know what you yeah. can cover i think yeah. you, we all kind of know what we can cover during the daylight and i just dial it back a little bit for the night yeah it's a good question whether it's after a fishing trip or at a backyard fire you can bet the trout Bitten crew has a case of new trail broken heels along with us it's honestly our favorite beer This hazy IPA is smooth and full-bodied. Hand-selected citra hops lead to notes of bright clementine and juicy ruby red grapefruit. Broken Heels is a keeper. New Trail beer is proudly brewed in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, and delivered cold to your favorite craft beer retailer every week. At New Trail, it's not about being the best angler. It's about getting out there. So enjoy nature's moments and reward yourself for a day well-fished with New Trail Broken Heels. It's Troutbitten's favorite beer. For over a decade, Smith Creek has designed innovative, high-quality fly-fishing accessories made to put your gear in easy reach, free up your hands, and keep our waters clean. Check out the all-new tippet holder. Each unit is individually machined from billet aluminum and anodized in two eye-catching colors. They hold up to five tippet spools with a spring-loaded plunger that is quick and easy to use. The brand-new Rod Clip Plus comes with a stiff 304 steel pin and integrated carabiner clip, giving you two ways to attach it to your vest or pack. All Smith Creek products are built guide-tough and backed by solid customer service. To learn more about Smith Creek products, visit their website at smithcreek.co. Along those same lines, before we move on, guys, do you ever cycle back through a certain piece of water? If you have like a prime Prime piece that you've done well through. Yeah, tell us about that. All the time.
1: Yeah, we've just so many nights, we've revisited a, a section of water later in the night. It might be two hours later, three hours later, and um, and I think there's a couple reasons for that. One is that we think like maybe we've allowed the fish to rest, and they've kind of, you know, they're going to be fresh to fish over again. But I think we also acknowledge that at nighttime, fish oftentimes migrate into nighttime feeding patterns, and nighttime feeding lies sometimes. Mm. And you know, maybe the first through the course of the night, yeah, right through the course of the night, and. I, th- we've, I think we're pretty convinced that we've fished through sections where those fish truly just are not there at the point we fished through it and then we come back later and maybe they're there. And I don't have any substantial proof for that, but that's the impression that we've gotten over time.
2: I also think that the amount of time it takes for a fish at night to forget a sting from a hook is, is long. Like, I think that they forget that a lot faster and are more eager to eat again
1: yeah, at no night, yeah. in
2: in a shorter amount of time. And so if mm-hmm. I experience like, oh, that fish went for this. I got a tug. I didn't get, I didn't hook into him. And I'll work down maybe, you know, maybe 50 yards or so. And then usually that's enough time that I think I can probably go back up there because he's he's probably ready again. He's probably forgotten about that. And we've talked about reasons why I think they're eating larger food forms that are bonier, sometimes crawfish, that hard metal-like things in them that feel Hmm. like our hook's and i think yeah. that for a multitude of reasons they just don't care as much and are more eager to get back to feeding faster right on
0: mm. along those same lines i mean it's not that surprising because we've talked about how they the same trout will hit our fly five or six times yeah which five doesn't or happen or so. in the daytime yeah.
1: no and a big fly a bigger fly than than right. a daytime fly usually josh i think has been the, in our fishing the king of the second chance <laughs> with with fish. And so I don't know the, how many I can count that I've just like worked and worked and worked and then finally caught. But Josh starts blowing up my radio. All right. There, oh, there he was again. There he was he, <laughs> there he was again. <laughs> Half an hour later, he finally hooks up and lands the fish. <laughs> it's a good strategy.
0: Going back yeah. around, cycling yeah. through. Yeah, I've done that plenty of times. I'll say, I'm going to go from this riffle and then through the pool and to the tail out. And I'm going to do that three times. And that's all I'm yeah. going to do tonight. You know, yeah.
1: Three,
2: sometimes four times. you just have so much confidence in the water that you're fishing yeah. because of past yeah. experience, and you know what yeah. kind of water it is. You're like, this is prime for for this for these conditions. This is where they yeah, should absolutely. be, and
1: they probably mm-hmm. are. You just give them time mm-hmm. and find them. Here's an interesting thought on that front: is that Bashline? I think it was him. That said, like, kind of surprisingly, when they began to catch, because he used to kill a lot of these fish at night. Sure. But he said it was kind of surprising. He thought they would be kind of gorged with food. And yet he almost always found that they had empty stomachs, mm. which I read to mean that these are hungry fish, you know, yeah. like, and, and yeah. these larger trout may come active and feed every second or third night. I, I, obviously, they're feeding a little bit in between there. But in terms of taking these larger prey forms, once one of those fish turns on and becomes aggressive at night, I think that fish is going to, he's going to search out that that piece of food, that larger bait form, that larger fish mm-hmm. or that bird or that whatever he's going to mm-hmm. eat, he's going to keep looking for it. And he really doesn't have the option not to because he's, he's hungry and he's coming mm-hmm. out to have that meal. So I think that there is an urgency of their, there's like an urgent sense of urgency to their feeding at night when you find a hot fish like that i think i think that's why you can maybe cycle back and catch him later Mm. because he's he's hungry enough that he's willing to forget that (laughs) disruption yeah got that urge that way of putting it a Mm -hmm. hot fish like he's he's a hot fish yeah and we've we've certainly we've certainly
2: seen that like like why else would you have like every single cast into a spot he goes for it yeah he's just like Like, throwing himself at it yeah And exposes himself completely, like top water goes for it over and over again. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. For sure. All
2: right,
0: guys, let's get into the topic. So we night fish with many different fly types, like surface patterns, mouse emergers, and we've talked about that. We have a full podcast on that. Streamers, wet flies, nymphs, and uh, Harvey pushers, George Harvey pusher flies. We'll talk about those later in in another podcast. What a guy. And all of those flies, like all of them can be presented in two general ways, drifting and swinging. So there's a lot of variety within those categories. And also every fly type may seem to have its best or most effective presentation, drifting or swinging. But when that's not working, the first and maybe the easiest thing to do out there before changing up the fly type is to simply change the direction the flies are fished. Maybe go from swinging to drifting or vice versa. So guys, what do we mean by swinging and drifting? R- real quickly, basic, simple, break that down.
2: Yeah. So I think when we're talking about drifting, we're talking about fishing the flies with the current. And if we're talking right. about swinging, we're talking about fishing the flies against the current and manipulating
0: that. Well said. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's the same thing we do during the day. I mean, there's, there's no mystery here. So drifting with the current, The current is bringing the flies toward you, and swinging, there's going to be some tension to the flies. There's a lot of variety within each one of those, so let's break them down. That's the point of this podcast. What we're saying, what I just said, is that every type of fly, for me anyway, every single type of fly, I do both presentations with. I'll drift and I'll swing. And Again, there's a lot of variety within those drifting and swinging, and we're going to get into that. But I mean it, even though a Harvey Pusher, for example, I really like to swing it. If that's not working, before I take it off, I'll go ahead and drift it. But all right, let's get into that. Uh, Drifting then, drifting. Let's break this down a little bit more. Let's take away the idea first of a dead drift. When you say drift, people often say dead drift. Oh, I was dead drifting them. "Eh, Were you really? People Mm -hmm. will say that about nymphs, for example, even during the daytime. Well, I was dead drifting. Was it really a dead drift? And right. so I th- we can surely aim for a dead drift, and that's one way to do it. But it's a pure dead drift basically has no influence from you, your rod, your line. A pure dead drift looks like a fly that is not attached to anything. And yeah. we can get those. That that might be a good thing to do. But drifting, as, a, as we're talking about it here, is just coming down with the current.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, the concept of a dead drift at night doesn't really, it's not as pertinent just because I think the purity of a dead drift is difficult for you and for the fish to really determine given what information it has about your fly as it's coming downstream. You know, I just don't think they have quite the same discernment, but I think, you know, when we're, when I'm thinking of drifting, I tend to think that I'm facing upstream. I might Mm -hmm. be fishing upstream or I might just be fishing a particular section of river where I see the structure upstream of where I'm at and I want to approach it from that angle. And there's a lot of times where, frankly, I've approached that already because I do often fish downstream at night, but maybe I've approached that piece of water from an upstream to down angle to begin with. But then as I work down towards it, I may think, like, honestly, I kind of like the backside of this And I'm going to make a couple casts up into that log or up into that log jam. And I'm going to let my fly kind of drift out from it from below. Um, And I may animate that fly. It doesn't mean that I specifically Mm. am or am not going to animate the fly. But it's a lot different to be doing that. Because as soon as I stop any animation, the fly is just sort of dead and drifting Hmm. um, rather than moving. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. It's still going to have tension. Tip-toe, (laughs) tip-toe. Yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) That word tension, I think, is really important. No tension or less tension to the flies is what we're talking about when we're drifting. Like you said, you can animate it. And when you're animating it, as you're drifting it, you're still drifting it. But as you animate it, you obviously have more tension. You're moving the fly, so you have tension to the fly. And then as soon as you're done animating it, well, there's very little tension, maybe even no tension to the fly, definitely less. And so there's less influence then from the angler, from you. So that that idea of tension, more or less, I think is uh, what makes this drifting approach sometimes work better than swinging. What Mm -hmm. do you guys think... It looks like. Why do they eat a drifted fly, sometimes, better than a swung fly?
2: I think anything that's coming downstream with the current is going to naturally seem more helpless than something that has the strength mm. to move against the current. And nice. if mm. trout are looking for something that is an easier prey, kind of like a like a gimme, then they're going to mm-hmm. choose something that's affected more by the current and has less control over itself. And thus, I think that something moving downward is going to
1: be a better option
2: in terms of
1: energy usage. Hmm. Nice. Yeah, you nailed it. Don't you have an article called The Death Drift? Or is it yeah. just an article in which you talk about it? Because yeah. that's that's a concept that I really carried with me into night fishing and in situations. And I, and I honestly yeah. would say that the few times that I've, not just a few, but the times that I've taken out more of a monorig system, I've employed the death drift and had success with the death drift more than yeah. any other, you know, way. And I've and I don't know why that is. I just feel like it's easier in a drift like that. It feels more like I'm nymphing almost. And it and it was nice to maintain contact with it through through the monorail type type mm-hmm. system. Right. On. Um, and I, it felt effective and I felt more in touch with it. If you're close enough too, you can absolutely do it with
0: a full fly line mm-hmm. and a 9-foot leader, 8-foot leader sure. you, if you're close yeah. enough. And even if you're attentive, I don't know, you could do it 30, 40, even mm. I want to say 50, but probably not if you're in the right water. If it's not moving too fast, stuff like that. And and so I do think that we should point that out, drifting, mm. you still want control over your fly, right? You, you don't want things to get away from you too much. It is harder. I think drifting is harder. Then swinging, we'll talk about that in a second. But drifting's tougher because you don't have that pure tension. Um, and you don't want it to kind of get away from you, as I said. Now, that death drift that you're talking about, Trevor, um, I guess I'll link it. I'll leave a link to the article in the description for this podcast. Everybody can go read it. But the idea is it's not a dead drift, but it's presenting a larger fly. Kind of this
1: up and down almost. Mm-hmm. Where a fish but, is like, yeah.
0: You, usually for me, pretty close to the surface. Usually again, mm-hmm. a larger fly and you animate it a little bit and then you just kind of let it die. Mm-hmm. And you, you do build super paws, right? Like you do with a streamer mm-hmm. and you let it go for a little bit and then you animate it a little bit, little pop, little twitch and then you let it die. And the flies we use... Even a standard streamer for daylight and whatever it has a has a lot of motion built in. It's feathers and marabou and and hair that it all pulses and moves. So f- our flies, one of the advantages of fishing a fly over a lure, is that it has motion built in. So these mm-hmm. drifts can really be attractive. I think, like Josh said, because they are easily available and yet. You might not be moving the fly very much. There might be very little tension to it, but it still looks really good because the fly is mm-hmm. kind of pulsating. And maybe it does look like a damaged, dying, half dead uh, bait fish, and and it's an easy meal. Why pass it yeah. up? You know,
1: for sure. Now, when you guys are drifting, does it matter to you at all? Like where the head position is? Like, are you drifting? Are you trying to keep the head aligned? with the current you're trying to face it upstream Do so you do the head flip you know anything that specifically you do like the head the head flip is i associated i guess a little bit more with
2: swinging because it has to be done at kind of like 12 o'clock out from you okay. or around around that zone so i it's almost like it, it falls into that crossover mm-hmm. kind of approach where you yeah. might be waiting downstream but you're fishing upstream and, and what mm-hmm. that's allowing you to do is get both a drift to start off the 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 drift to start off the the time that the fly has in the water and then a swing to end the time that the has sure. fly has in the water sure. but the head flip is really similar to the death the the death drift that you're talking about because what you're doing is you're kind of stalling it out and it's uh wavering in the water for a moment and what you're doing is you're showing a moment of vulnerability for the fly, which goes back to the, what we were talking about a moment ago regarding mm-hmm. easy access to the fly, like an easy right target.
0: On. So that head flip is tough to do when you fly, you know, straight upstream, you can't hardly do it when it flies straight yeah. upstream from you or downstream. So it's the head flip for me works best when I'm, I don't know, 45 to 45, kind of across, right? And you got a lot of that opportunity if you are presenting upstream or if you're presenting downstream. But Trevor, that head position, when I'm thinking about drifting, I mean, the head position is a really important thing to me, no matter what. Yeah. If I'm drifting or swinging, I want, I'm want. i always thinking about the head. I'm imagining the head of my fly. We're using flies that are usually big enough that the head matters. And yeah. yeah, for when I'm drifting, I'm usually thinking about the head, well, pointed toward me, which is now downstream. The head is pointed downstream, maybe downstream and across. And that's a big deal for me because when I do animate it, I want that imagination of how is it being animated? What does it look like? You know, yeah, right? head position, just like when you're fishing streamers, it matters. Yeah, I like that. So while we're drifting, again, we can have some movement or less movement. We can animate the fly. We're almost through a dead drift, you know, keeping enough tension on the line and working the fly just enough to maybe keep its head angled downstream and to kind of still have that confidence about knowing where it is. Because you can feel it. We've talked about how your senses are heightened, and man, you can really feel what your fly's doing if you got things set up right. You can feel it at your rod tip, you guys know that.
1: I will say that I don't drift a lot in really fast water, and I'm right on. specifically talking, I, I don't, I I'll, I will say if I'm talking about nymphing, but in our typical approach, I, I don't, yeah, I don't drift really quick water. I like backwater kind of, or like that cushioned, Section of the bank, or like I was saying before, like maybe behind a log where there's a little bit of a cove. Almost, mm-hmm. um, those are areas that I I really maybe would target with a drift type technique, and I may not even recognize them until I am downstream of that location. Like I said mm-hmm. before, too, but it's it's line management at night can be hard in general, and if you're casting upstream in a fast moving current. You're just pulling line in as fast as you can. And yeah, not only is that difficult for you as the angler, I just have had very limited success having a fish recognize, identify, and then chase down that fly quickly enough right, to take it. In the faster stuff. In the faster stuff, yep.
0: yeah. Yeah. I think
2: one of the big keys to fishing faster stuff is fishing closer to your fly because that makes that yep. line management a lot easier. If you're trying to fish yeah. 30, 40 feet at At night in fast water, it's so, so difficult to track your line in fast enough to stay Mm -hmm. just ahead, still connected, but not influencing the fly that much just ahead Mm -hmm. of your fly.
1: It's so difficult. So fish closer if you're going to fish fast water with a
2: drift kind of style technique.
1: It's also a a, a silent, I think it's a a silent presentation from a Mm. turbulent standpoint because you're just letting that fly drift down through the water. You're not Mm -hmm. resisting in any way. Until you animate it. Until right. you animate it. And yeah. so if you're going to do that, yeah, maybe animate it. Um, it. But I think it's another reason why in quicker water it can be difficult yeah. because I don't yeah. know that they can like sense it quite as clearly yep. as they would if it was softer water.
0: Yeah, that water type is a big deal, and I'm Nymph. with you. Uh, unless I'm nymphing, I don't drift fast water. I pretty much ignore it. And when I'm fishing mid-column or especially top water or just underneath, like with our mouse merger concept, I'm all the way with you there. Mm -hmm. My water choice then is, yeah, the softer stuff and the bank stuff and the slack water stuff. Absolutely. So a couple more things on drifting, a couple more tips. A glow line really, really helps with drifting. Yeah, I'm not going to say it's impossible. It's possible. You can feel it at your rod tip. My gosh, is it so much more effective you have so much more confidence with that glow line when you're trying to drift sure thing i also think drifting is harder we mentioned this but it Mm -hmm. it is so it's not a great choice you know for your first night out there or for your second night or maybe even your first season out there just maybe swing stuff Perfecting performance on the water with specialty products designed specifically for every application and species has been the mission of SAGE since its founding in 1980. Proudly made in America, all SAGE rods are handcrafted to perfection on a small island in the Pacific Northwest. Today, SAGE continues to use the most innovative, world-class materials in their rods and reels, collaborating with experts and relentlessly testing products so they are refined for specialized use. Whether targeting tarpon in the Florida Keys brook trout in Pennsylvania spring creeks, bass in the midwest, or casting dry flies in Montana, Sage has the right tool for the job. Precision Fly & Tackle is a family-owned business with a passion for the outdoors and a sense of adventure. They are anglers who enjoy every moment spent on the water with family and friends. Precision Fly & Tackle carries the widest selection of Euro rods, reels, lines, leaders, flies, and accessories. From the beginner to the advanced angler, Precision Fly & Tackle can outfit every angler, no matter the budget. Visit them online at precisionflyandtackle.com. Then use code TROUTBITTEN10, that's the number 10, for 10% off your order. Gear up with Precision Fly & Tackle for your next adventure. All right, so guys, let's break into swinging. Let's let's talk about swinging the flies. Swinging flies is definitely more common. It's what you read about. It's the more traditional way. If there is a traditional night fishing way, I, that's it, right? It's, it starts with swinging something. Uh, hmm. These days, it's big mouse patterns We're way back. And we talk a lot about Jim Bashline. What's the book title? Night Fishing? Night, the the, the Final frontier. frontier. The Final, the frontier. final frontier. Night, night yeah. Fishing
2: for Trout, The Final Frontier. Front. <laughs> Night Fishing for Trout, colon, The Final Frontier.
0: (laughs) That's the name (laughs) of it. And I don't know, we all gravitated to that book. We passed it around. Uh, We like it, especially too, because Jim Bashline was fishing the waters that are, Mm. what, 80 to 100 miles north of here, if that. Uh, Yeah, yeah. similar and and close. Right. Mm -hmm. And we've all learned a lot. Uh, from Bashlim. Anyway, he was certainly swinging flies almost all Mm -hmm. the time. I don't know that he talks much about drifting flies at all. And Humphreys is another big resource for us. And there are others out there, but everybody tells you to swing flies, go out there and swing them, you know? And I always kind of wonder, is
1: that because it's more effective or because it's easier? I think it's because it's easier. (laughs) It's more accessible, (laughs) you know? Like, I think people, I think it's a very low entry point to swing flies. Like you can accidentally swing flies pretty easily. <laughs> <laughs> accidentally. Um, yeah. But I do think it's effective too. I don't I think, think it's, that it's ineffective. Yeah. I just think Ooh. that it's a good thing to tell people to do because they're going to be able to succeed at it.
0: I think it's more effective, to be honest. Hmm. When I think about controlled swinging. yeah.
1: One of the things that we touched on
2: a moment ago when we were talking about the head flip for... For a second was mm. kind of the crossover between the two where we work downstream but we fish upstream and that's a great way of 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 doing both until you find doing what both. are the trout doing that night because and you you might say like well then you're just covering the water that you already fished as, as the fly was swinging like mm. if you're working downstream and you're working down slowly slowly enough that your cast upstream is covering the same water that your previous drift mm. Or swing downstream covered. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. You're not really doing the same thing because what you were showing as a swing, now you're showing as a drift. Right. On. And yeah. And so you're doing both at the same time as you work down through the water. And That's really when I th- a good point to connect with what we were just saying. When I think about where the majority of strikes have come from, it's on the swing side of that technique. Yeah. It's after I get past midnight or noon, you know, looking at the bank Mm -hmm. and it's like one, two, three o'clock is where the most of my strikes have come from. And so to Dom's point, for whatever reason, it seems like the fish do like that presentation a little bit more for me. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: They might like
2: it too.
0: They might finally eat it there. They might've followed it from the bank. They might've started following it while it was drifting. And then right at that swing point, they start really getting interested or they hit it and then, or they follow it for a couple more feet and then they hit it.
1: Yeah. I will say from distance, like there's sections of the river that I almost always will approach with a swing only. And it's really just because the depth of the water prevents me from getting too close to where I want to be. And so I will, as I approach that section, I will begin to just cast 45 degrees downstream or even almost straight across and just allow that to drift out through the sections. And I almost feel like I'm, I'm, I'm covering a greater degree of water with a lot more ease by doing so. Mm. And I don't think, I think it's like a, I'm not dissecting that water, but I am not ignoring it either. And I'm able to do that because I can fish at such a distance. Again, a little easier. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Not that it's easy, but no, easier. Right. Uh, more efficient for,
1: for right. sure. Right.
2: So some of the reasons that we find that maybe this approach is more effective is because at night, trout are going to rely a little bit more on other senses other than vision, one being their lateral line where they sense movement. And what we know is as flies move down through the water and are, and are working against the current, they're going to create more turbulence in the water and more commotion in the water. And that's why we love to fish big flies at night with big heads that are going to move more water. That's why we love the Harvey Pusher because it's built to move water and to cause turbulence and undulation in the water, especially as it's moving against the current, which is where that's going to happen a lot more. You can force it to happen when you're drifting it by mm-hmm. getting contact and pulling it through the water. Mm-hmm. But it happens
0: naturally when we're swinging flies. And almost constantly when we're swinging yeah. the flies. Yeah. It's almost kind of almost hard to get away from that constant disturbance i guess you can jig it enough or twitch it hard enough or strip it hard enough that then it'll have some slack 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 but then it's tension again yeah and swinging again yeah and creating that wake imagine a fly on top Uh, imagine a mouse pattern you know it's creating that wake constantly when it's swinging when it's drifting it's not until like you said until you move it There's definitely more disturbance, more commotion, more for the trout to sense with that lateral line when you're swinging flies. I do think that's why it's more effective at night. I don't find that it's more effective during the day, but I certainly do at night. I guess one of the questions I wanted to ask you guys, I've thought about this for a while. I don't know if we've ever talked about it. Does a swinging fly, what does it look like? Does it look natural? what we just talked about, how it creates that disturbance and that maybe constant wake, whether that's on top or underneath, does it look natural? That's a good
1: question. I think very few food forms of the fish other than fish, other fish, Mm. would be able to pull off that action. Because I think there's very few things that can do that in the current that are that small. Like a mouse can't swim directly up against the current, not a quicker current a frog won't be able to push against the current like that very yeah. easily especially not on the surface and the surface would be the least efficient place to do that where yeah. the, where it's quickest right and yeah, so yeah. i think i think a fish could right itself in the current and i think that I don't know. I think that induced take or that like motion of that fly flipping into the current or kind of swinging into the current. I have seen fish do that. I've seen small bait fish do that. Yeah, and I assume that's where trout kind of have this ingrained like trigger almost that gets them to strike when they see that. But I don't know. What do you guys think? I I'd agree
2: with you. Probably mostly no. I I don't think so. And part of that's because why would anything swim from lower in the water column out towards the center of the river higher in the water column? Because that's what's happening when you're swinging is like you're, the best depth that you're going to get on mm-hmm. your swing is going be is going to be the, the, the closer you For are sure. to drifting and not to swing yeah. And as it swings out below you, the shallower and shallower your drift is going to get until you see your fly on the water, mm-hmm. 30 mm-hmm. feet down, you know at the terminal yeah. point of your swing. And so that's not a natural thing for a fish to do necessarily. Mm. And sometimes mm-hmm. maybe it's natural for topwater presentations. Uh, and so that's probably yeah. where I'd say it is most natural. I don't think it's natural for subsurface uh, mm. uh, uh, food forms. Critters. But topwater food forms, maybe it's a little <laughs> bit more natural.
0: Man, that, that's a great point. And we've talked about this with streamers, how the bait fish, the small fish, the small trout, whatever, the, the dace, they don't fight the current. They're not going to, if they're trying to escape, if they're trying to come off the bank and get into the middle of the river, they're not going to fight, put their head into the current and swim into it. If they're trying to get away, they're going to use the current. However, I think about how my dog, for example, crosses the river. He's a mammal mm-hmm. <laughs> and right. he's on top and he doesn't put his head downstream. He keeps his head upstream and he crosses it at an angle right? He keeps his head upstream and crosses. We would assume then we've kind of, we've seen it. We've seen videos of it. I don't know that I've ever actually seen a mouse crossing the stream around here. We don't have that many mice make, yeah, doing that, but that's how a mouse
1: crosses the stream.
0: Mm-hmm. I suppose maybe a frog, Trevor. I don't know.
1: Yeah. <laughs> going, I know. That's not a mammal. No. I think, I mean, toads, I think will kind of stay near the surface when they're swimming, uh, but most frogs, Like aquatic frogs frogs are going to be subsurface. Dove to the bottom, yeah. Right, yeah.
0: Yeah, I guess just something to think about. That's all. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting. Does it look natural? I don't know. Does it matter? I don't know. But yeah, I mean, we like the details, right? (laughs) I mean, our
1: trout thinking like, oh, that's on top and it's going the wrong way. I'm not going to eat it. Maybe. I think that's why, like, if you dissect it down or zoom in even further, I feel like my presentation, or the like, I'm always thinking like, okay, if something just jumped in the water right off the bank or fell in off a bush, and it hits the water and it begins to drift, mm. I'm almost thinking about it in these little micro scenarios. So it's mm. it hits the water, it's beginning to drift, and then I may like do that lift and w- wiggle or like mm-hmm. animate it slightly yeah. as it as that thing is realizing like I'm in the water, I need to start swimming, mm-hmm. and then I drift, and then I wiggle, and then I you know, and then. My presentation may begin to swing out nice. but but, like there's a lot happening in there that you know, like it's not quite as simple as I'm just drifting or I'm just swinging. it's like I'm doing a little bit of both and I'm animating a little bit, and I'm yeah. kind of changing it up each time to see like, okay, are the fish what are they gonna respond to, and when are they taking it and it it, mm-hmm. it does almost always seem like. After some animation on the pause, or yeah. on this, or right after some drift and animation, and then it begins to swing, and right at the swing, you know, like it's like those transitions in yeah. the presentation where that's I feel nice. like so often you get the take.
0: Yeah, and there are different animations that you can do during a swing than yeah. you can during a drift, and that's For important sure. to recognize. We said swinging is easier. I mean, tension to the unseen fly just helps everything. Like we said, it's it's easier for beginners, but it's easier for anybody. I mean, and I think we're all agreeing that it, it's perhaps more effective, more often, yeah. not all the time. Like it's easier to know the fly's path when you're swinging. It's easier to know exactly where your fly is. The more you're in touch, the more you know. Strike detection, obviously. A lot, a lot of times they hook themselves on a swing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so then when they do eat, setting the hook, you don't have any slack to take out, not much. If, you know, depends on what animations you were doing. So swinging is often easier and more efficient, like we said. Well, you said, Trevor, you'll cover, you just cover more water, especially if it's bigger, if it's if it's newer water to me, or if it's the beginning of the night, I often just want to kind of see what's going on and um, maybe where the fish are holding. And yeah, I'll swing more. So there are a lot of varieties to swinging as well. It's not just like, oh, cast it out there and swing against the current. Mm-hmm. I think that is... That
2: is the assumption, though. I think when we think of swinging flies, I Mm -hmm. I'm guilty of this for sure. Originally, when we were talking about maybe we should swing more wet flies as we're trying to do this, I was like, yeah, it's just it feels lazy. But then when you start thinking Hmm. about it, it's like it's not not really. Like, yeah, if you just throw it out there and you just let it drift down with the amount of line that you have out, you never change anything. Yeah, that yeah, sure, it's never it's that's pretty simple, but. There's a lot of things that you can control. You can control the speed of the swing with mm-hmm. how much line you decide to pull in as it's swinging and where yeah. your rod tip is. You can if and you mending. if you don't uh, if you don't just, just leave your say. rod. Yeah. yeah, if you don't leave your rod tip low, like if you leave your rod tip low, you lose you can obviously lift it and that's going to tremendously speed up the swing. And mm. if you drop it back down, it's going to put a pause in the swing. And so if you want to start at a more neutral spot, then you have a lot of control over what that
1: swing is going to look like. And you can animate it how you, how you want to.
0: That's nice. Yeah.
1: I'm pretty sensitive to that speed of swing at night. Again, because I'm almost always trying to slow down my presentations in the thought that the fish are going to take their time to get to my fly. They need to be able to at least identify it and locate it. And then they can actually approach it. So when I'm casting and that, you know, like, You're gonna get a more severe. The more severe the angle between your cast and where your fly is gonna finish, the faster that fly is gonna pick up steam as it gets there. If you cast sixty degrees downstream, you're basically drifting from almost directly downstream to straight downstream, and that's you have a fairly consistent speed of Mm -hmm. your fly in that. But if you cast directly across from you to you know. If you're facing the bank, if you cast to the bank and and swing that out and allow a large belly of the lion to kind of get pulled, that really is going to whip around in such a way that I think very few fish are going to be able to track that down. And so I almost always will cast to the bank and then begin upstream mends as my fly is coming down just to slowly, just to kind of slow down that swing and keep that head position sort of like angled back upstream just a little bit as it's going and i have found that to be really effective
0: i like what you say just you're trying to slow it down give them a chance give them a chance we've said the same thing about streamer presentations sometimes bill likes to say it a lot like give them a chance to eat it don't take it away Mm -hmm. from them give them a chance attract them and give them a chance right we all recognize too that during the day when we animate the fly and then we pause they almost always eat it on the pause You know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's when you give them a chance, same thing at night. And I'm with you. I like to, well, I do a lot of what I call a slow slide, written an article about that. Maybe I'll drop that link in the description as well. The slow slide off the bank. We're going to talk more about that in future podcasts that are coming up, especially when we talk about surface stuff. I do that a lot or the stuff that's just underneath. Um, I do a hand twist retrieve a lot when I'm Mm -hmm. swinging, um, especially in pools and flats and slower stuff, um, instead of, uh, stripping. I really like that contact of a hand twist retrieve. I, I don't know. I enjoy it. You guys think the fly moves differently when you hand twist? Let's say you hand twist for two feet, figure eight retrieve, whatever you want to call it. Do you think it animates the fly differently, subtly? Let's say we're in a flat or a pool. A pool. The slowest water around. If you hand twist, does it look different than if you would have brought the, that same two feet of line in with a steady strip?
1: Yes. You do. I don't know how much the trout sense that. I mean, I do think it's different. There's almost like this very subtle, like forward, back, forward, back, forward, back, forward, back. wobble. That's what Mm -hmm. I think of it as. Yeah.
0: I think so too. I used to kind of doubt that. I thought, well, what's the difference? I think there's a difference
1: in the slowest stuff. In the slowest stuff. And I think if you've ever watched a fish, I mean, just like as simple as watched fish in an aquarium, Mm. as you see them move forward, a lot of times, I mean, they have multiple fins, and they sure. use them differently to to maneuver differently, but a lot of times you will see them not move in just like one straight linear path mm. kind of forward or one speed. You know, they kind of just, they'll make, I, I don't know. When, when I imagine like a hand twist retrieve at night, I imagine the,
2: the fish is scared, like moving forward with, with some hesitance.
0: Uh (laughs) like i mean tiptoeing in yeah yeah yeah. my imagination
2: gets a little too involved in the drift sometimes and i'm like when i when i'm doing that i'm like i'm like i think he's timid right now i think he's not sure what's around him he's moving forward nice and slow
0: honestly i think it's those kinds of things that make for a really good angler whether it's nighttime or daytime i mean it's that Next level, like you're imagining what the fly is actually doing, and you're thinking about what almost the, thinking. You're talking about the emotion. That's right. Oh, yeah. The thought process <laughs> or the emotions or the feelings. Yeah. Of that poor little. That's why it's block so scary. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I don't you know. do. I mean, you feel when that take happens. You're like, ah,
0: yeah. it got me. <laughs> that's yeah. right.
1: You're so involved that you're the. <laughs> yes. That's right.
0: You're the fly. You are. I. Re- the fly. I, I we're joking, but I really I am do the feel that.
1: <laughs> like oh. ah. Yeah.
0: I know, I know, and nothing does it to you like it being dark out there. Yeah, right. Yep, agreed. You guys have anything else about the
1: about swinging? I don't think so. I mean, I think people that want to learn how to swing wet flies, it's easy enough to watch somebody swing a pair of wet flies in the daytime, right? And and you can learn, and I I would say learn it in the daytime to perfect it, and then perfect that, and then take it over tonight, And I would say that with almost every technique, is try it in the daytime first so you can see what it's going to look like and then take it to the night. Sure. To be honest, I hardly ever uh, did
0: much wet fly swing stuff in the daylight until I started fishing a lot at night. And yeah, reading bash line, I was like, man, I got to get better at yeah. swinging wets. So I did it a lot during the day and I understood it. I understood that it isn't just, you know, casting out there and like Josh said, you don't just let the line do whatever it wants to do. There's mending and there's twitches and hand twists possibly and just repositioning the line so it will have more or less tension and bringing it around a rock or through a lane a little faster than than it's going or slowing it down, like you're saying, Trevor. All kinds of stuff we do. And again, we'll get into when we talk about these different fly types coming up in uh, the future podcasts, we'll get into more exactly how we'll approach those situations and how we'll move the fly with the current drifting or against the current swinging.
2: I know that if we talked, Trevor, you mentioned this a little bit earlier, as that transitional time between daylight and true darkness, that dusk Mm, period. Sometimes we're out there technically night fishing before the fish have made that transition. And Mm. I would say that very, very rarely do I transition over to swinging a fly before that switch has completely happened. And the reason for that is because I feel like the fish are still primarily feeding on the bottom in the strike zone yeah. before that transition really happens. And it's really hard to keep a wet fly deep. And so until I know fish are in their night zones, I don't swing flies generally because I, like that. I think that they're feeding in the strike zone.
0: Hmm. One thing I'll say is that a good drift might turn into a swing. And we've talked about this. So you can be drifting, and then it'll turn into the swing. When the fly passes downstream of the rod tip, then the flies come under tension, and they start to, start to swing a bit. That, that swing begins. And this transition, though, from drifting to swinging was a key concept in the minnow game of my younger years. That's, I, I fished strung minnows growing up on a spinning rod. And my uncle always taught me to position myself so the flip from Drifting to swinging happened right in front of where I expected a trout. And that flip, again, the tension is less on the drift, and then it flips, and all of a sudden you're swinging, and there's constant tension to the fly. And it's yeah. still a deadly technique no matter what is. fly is on the end of the line, right there, where you go from drift to swing. Uh, that's that's good. We, and we addressed that a bit, and we'll we'll talk about it more in future podcasts. Sometimes I fish long casts up and across with drifts that turn into swings over long stretches of river. But most often I prefer a targeted approach and like I I swing the flies more deliberately. I'm I'm usually just doing one thing because it takes a longer drift to try to do both things.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: All right, there it is. Night Fishing for Trout, episode three. Drifting and Swinging the Flies. Under the cover of darkness, rivers come to life. An ecosystem that operates with reservation, hesitation, and caution under the sun now drops its guard. Crayfish emerge from streambed cracks while sculpins and schools of baitfish forage in the shallows. Mayfly and stonefly nymphs use the safety of darkness to relocate. All of these available food forms move, and trout are looking for those patterns of movement. Trout, too, are emboldened by the dark canopy. Imagine a hapless mouse crossing a side channel to reach the next island. Or consider the trout fry suspended underneath a bubbly bank current, swaying and swinging as it feeds on midges just under the surface. With the fly rod, we may imitate these food forms by either drifting or swinging flies. And on most nights, it takes a combination of both to fool a fish. All right, Josh Darling, will you read us out?
2: Uh, Of course. Remember, the Trout Bitten Project is a free resource for all anglers. The Trout Bitten website hosts over 1,000 articles with endless stories, commentaries, tactics, tips, and more. Find what you like through the top menu and through the search page. Navigate by way of the categories and tags too. Be sure to find the Trout Bitten YouTube channel currently featuring the Trout Bitten Tips series in collaboration with Wilds Media. These are short, useful, and unique tips for your fly fishing life. Thank you for listening to the Trout Bitten Podcast. Please give the show a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment because that really helps. Until next time, friends, fish hard, enjoy the day, and find your life on the water.
1: tiptoe. That's
0: worse than a paper cut. Oh, we're supposed to do that. All right.
1: Oh, there he was again. There he was again.
0: No kidding. Those are some smart buds, buddy. God! It got me. (laughs) They almost always eat it on the paws. I am the fly.